I'm Amy Carson, and this is The Balance, understanding nonprofit finance. In today's episode, Lee Tucker joins me to discuss transitioning from private to nonprofit accounting and finance roles. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of The Balance. Our guest today is Lee Tucker. Lee is a principal at Clifton Larson Allen. Welcome, Lee. Thanks, Amy. Glad to be here and uh, excited to uh, chat with you and your followers. <laughs> yes, there are so many. Yeah. Um, but Lee, thank you so much for being here. I, I would really appreciate you talking a little bit about your background, your career, your current role with CLA. Sure. So I today, uh, I am a principal with CLA, Clifton Larson Allen, which is actually the eighth largest CPA professional service firm in the country that most people have never heard of very big in the Midwest. It has acquired firms on both coasts and in the South and does an immense amount of work with nonprofits. And that has been a focus of my career. So I am a CPA by trade. I am no longer techie. I specialize in business development. I work with organizations that want to get into outsourcing, interim financial management, consulting and search. And for the last 25 years or so, I started and um, have grown a, a national nonprofit networking group called NonprofitExecutives.org and a program called From Board, B-O-R-E-D, number two to B-O-A-R-D, From Board to Board, matching people who are seeking new board roles with organizations seeking new board talent. So can you talk a little bit more about both? I started my career in the private sector. I was trained at IBM and then at UBS. And I made, at, at a young age, I made the very deliberate decision to move from the private sector to the nonprofit sector. I'm a financial analyst. And actually, I spoke with you at the time. I don't know if you remember 15 or so years ago when I was making this move. And your advice, and your advice to so many of the individuals that I've kind of worked with through the years, I think has been really instrumental in helping people make this transition. And I think this... This is becoming more and more of a thing. And so I think it would be helpful. Can you talk a little bit about your experience on the career transition side? Sure. So with regard to the career transition, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that look at working in the nonprofit world as something easier or the words that I hate to hear, it's time to get back. I don't need to make as much money. So none of that is true. You know, number one, it can be a great place to work. Don't get me wrong. But the people who have dedicated their careers to the nonprofit world don't want to hear that it's time to get back. And in reality, you don't have to make less money. It all depends on the t- type of work you do, the type of organization you're going to work for. So Lee, what do you tell people that are looking to move to the nonprofit sector from the private sector? To make sure that they follow the missions that they are comfortable with. I know that a lot of times people judge and look at the nonprofit world as one big pool. And in reality, there are so many different sectors within the nonprofit everything from food pantries to major hospitals, arts organizations, museums, colleges, and universities. So whenever someone comes to me and says, I want to work in nonprofit, my first reaction and my first question is, what sector in the nonprofit do you want to work at? I always say it's very different working at 
even in an environment of the Museum of Modern Art compared to a domestic violence shelter. You know, just the whole size of the organization, the atmosphere, the environment is going to be completely different, you know, and depending on who we're talking about, it can really be a factor. I I like that. And I actually really like what you just said about the size of the organization, because I think that's also really relevant. Can you talk a little bit more about that and just tips that you will give people depending on their background and depending on their level of experience? Because there's a big difference between a million dollar versus even a $20 million nonprofit. It's going to be a very different situation. Absolutely. Just because someone's coming out of a major corporation, they could work for a smaller division and be very comfortable within the family concept of, you know, being in a smaller group within a larger organization. And that can be fine. I think it's really, though, the nature of the organization in terms of decision making, you know, you go to a much larger organization, the whole decision making process is much different. The smaller organizations, they like to say that everyone's involved, but in reality, usually it's the executive director, but the decision-making is much slower because everybody gets to have a say. Exactly. Exactly. And at a smaller organization, you're also going to, if you're the CFO, for example, you're going to do a whole lot of things. You're going to probably get involved in everything where, because there's just limited staffing capacity. And that I think for some people can be tricky. You know, we do search and I always say that titles mean nothing when it comes to nonprofit. And yep. so you got to be very careful because what from the finance side, one person's CFO is another person's glorified bookkeeper, you know, and or business manager. I really like that. Can you talk a little bit more about that and the different roles and responsibilities? Because I think there's that's like a massive misconception that people will hire, someone will hire like, and I see it all the time with organizations that will hire like a, a bookkeeper to effectively serve as the CFO. And I'm like, this skill set does not right. match. And I, I, can you talk about that in your experience? Sure. So I've done some national webinars in my past, and I have always had a slide that says bookkeeping is the most misconstrued word in all of accounting. Because when people say I need a bookkeeper, they talk about the fact that all of a sudden this person is doing financial reporting and reporting to the board. Well, technically, a bookkeeper does transactions and might do, you know, smaller account analyses and reconciliations. But to expect a bookkeeper to do reporting to the board and and accurate financial statements, not only do you not have segregation of duties, but you're really expecting a lot from someone who is probably anticipated to be paid in the $45 to $65 an hour range, you know, uh, if they're lucky and have negotiated well. So what attributes do your most successful candidates share, whether it be based on your search practice within CLA or even just the work that you do through your networking group? Like what are common traits that you found attribute to success? I would say self-awareness, really the ability to know what one is capable of, what one likes to do, mm-hmm. et cetera. The ability to have networked and spoken to people who have like positions. Yeah. I uh, have done enough research on the organization and 
the people they will be working with and reporting to. And of course, at a nonprofit, that includes the board, you know, and sometimes the constituents, the users of the service, depending on the position. So um, I definitely think that leads to success. And do you think that it's helpful for someone to come in and have a very specific, especially someone coming in that's saying, I just want to give back? Do you think it's helpful if they have a specific cause that they are really drawn to? So I'm a contrarian. Okay. (laughs) In the fact that I honestly believe that there's a fine line, depending on the role you have, that some people should be a board member and some people should be an employee. Yes. Yes. So if, if coming from a finance point of view, if someone's going to be the CFO of an organization, they, they have to believe in the, org, in the mission. But if they're so passionate that they cannot say to the executive director or the board, how are you going to fund this? Or it's not in line with the mission, then they should be on the board and funding the organization, not in the role of the CFO. Other roles like in development, et cetera, I really think you do need more, certainly from an executive director point of view, and definitely, I think, depending on the level in development, you need to be able to really sell the story and believe in it in order to you know, be a successful development director. But I really believe that certain people should be on the board and not on the staff. I think that makes a lot of sense. And at the end of the day, accounting is accounting. And although there are certain nonprofit-specific rules, I think that we're a back office function. And so we're not necessarily going to be like on the front lines. And so that's why I, I wonder if the mission matters. I like that point about the board because, yeah, I, I could see that really playing a huge role in that decision. I will say that I think the world is changing, that even if you're outsourced or on staff, et cetera, I'd say that the finance function is more in the front lines today because it is so integrally involved in development, fundraising, accurate reporting, outcome analysis, et cetera. Can you talk about that a bit more and what you're seeing with clients, particularly in light of the pandemic and the need for additional forecasting and cash flow management and all of that? Well, I think it goes in multiple ways is the fact that some organizations are hurting because of the pandemic. Others have never been so rich in cash at the moment because the government programs help really help them through, but that money is not recurring and it's probably never going to happen again in the lifetimes of the people involved in the nonprofits. So forecasting and budgeting as to where that money is going to go in the next few years or fiscal cycles is even more important right now. Yeah. So, you know, typical of the nonprofit world, every niche is different and every organization within a niche has very, very specific situations they're under right now. That makes a lot of sense. And have you seen a shift? So I know this period has been dubbed the great resignation. Have you seen, I, I would assume that quite a few people, that there, there's been an uptick in movement from the private sector to the nonprofit sector. Is that is that a false assumption or? Well, I would just say that the great resignation does exist, but it exists for everyone. Mm-hmm. So there is a great movement within nonprofit even from nonprofit to for-profit and the other way back. You know what I mean? People are just moving, right? And everyone is hiring. 
So inherently, the opportunities are there, and it's allowing people to diversify their careers. And, you know, it all depends on, again, everyone's personal circumstances as to, you know, now you have people that are working for organizations or companies that are not even in the jurisdiction of the services being provided, right? But it's also allowing organizations and companies to expand because they have access to new markets. I know that my networking group, I started in Boston. I grew it in New York. I run physical meetings and now it's national. I'm part of a national networking group. And, you know, now every time I run a meeting for nonprofit executives networking group, it's two meetings because I get so many people and I've even had people from England and other countries call in, which is shocking to me, you know, so. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Is this a hard hire to make someone coming from the private sector that doesn't necessarily have any real experience working with nonprofit organizations? Is it hard? Like, what's the thought process when making these kinds of decisions? And how does that work? Every circumstance is different. So many times I have seen where there are people that have already come across, like in higher ed, you see Mm -hmm. people who are scientists that have come from the for-profit world, who are now presidents of universities. They want someone from the nonprofit world. They want someone, you know. Mm Sometimes someone has ascended and has come up through the higher ed world and they want someone with a business background. Yeah. So I have seen both sides. You know, it's just like any job. You know, I always say only one person is going to get every job, Mm -hmm. right? Every specific position. So it really does depend on the circumstances. And therefore, that's why people need to put themselves out, be open to different circumstances. And then, like I said, from a self-awareness point of view, really understand where they fit best and then step away from where they don't. How welcoming is the nonprofit sector to private sector volunteers and employees? How is it a mix? Does it depend on the area, depend on the size of the organization? So from a volunteer point of view, I think their arms are wide open because they're hoping that not only will they get services, but they'll get money, right? So from the hiring point of view, again, I think it all has to do with who is the people doing the hiring. And that can start from the HR department or who are the barriers to getting to the hiring manager and what's the background of the hiring manager. So... But, you know, as I said, today's world, people are looking to hire, right? Yeah. And so right now, I'd say, put it this way, if there is not a lot more openness to looking at different backgrounds, yep, then that is inherently permeating through the whole search, and it's harder to um, secure it. Can you talk about the search process a bit and how, just how long? I think there's a common misconception that you know, a search should take four to eight weeks or that it's, I think a search is a, is a process. And I think there's just lots of misconceptions around that. So can you talk about that a bit? A search for, let's just say a controller or a CFO type level person Mm -hmm. and how the process works. It all depends on whether it's a planned Mm. leave or not. Yeah. But let's say it's not. Okay. 
because a planned leave is completely different, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, and there's certain industries like independent schools, you know, people give notice and they give notice eight months ahead saying I'm leaving at the end of the next term school yeah. year, right? To go to a larger school, sort of like hospitals, where it's a promotion to go from 50 beds to 85 yeah. bed hospital to a 300 school student school from 200, you yeah. know? That's sort of the way those industries tend to work. Mm -hmm. And so from a search point of view, when I'm doing business development, I don't ever really look at those industries because mm -hmm. eight months, the whole board or the search firms that specialize in these long-term mm -hmm. practices, if someone is really giving notice and let's say at the CFO level, so number one, every search nowadays takes longer because it takes longer to source someone yeah. because even if they're looking, people are very busy and you usually have to source them. And so inherently, if you think someone's going to have to give notice of at least a month, let's say, depending yeah. on their level, if not more, and you have to equate it to what would you want if your person yeah. was giving notice, right? You can't turn around and say, I can't believe they're going to give a month and then say, well, I can't believe they're not giving me a month, yep. you know? Yeah. So, you got a month. So, and then people's schedules and depending on your hiring practice. So you need to really know, um, you need to update the job description. You need to figure out what do you need? Yeah. You need to work with your search consultant or internal, depending on who's going to do the work. What is your hiring plan going to be? Where are you going to post it? How are you going to cover all the rules for, you know, anti-discrimination, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So you need to know who's, what's the hiring process going to be, who's going to be involved, you know, because candidates want to know how many interviews are going to be as well. Yeah. I mean, I worked with an organization, nonprofit many, many, many years ago that is now really much larger in, and international. And they once put a director of HR candidate through 11 interviews. And in my management letter, I put out, put down the fact that only someone who either was out of a job or their employer thought they had a terminal illness would ever be able to schedule 11 interviews. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You know, so I was like, okay, we need to look at this or how many people are going to fall off this wagon and go, I don't ever want to go through this, you know, yep. or put others through it. So it's really important to have a game plan. That makes um, a lot of sense. In the end, you know, we are finding that most searches are taking three to four months okay. right now. At least, yeah, that's for, for somebody at a reasonable experience level. Okay, that makes sense. And you also, and then you, your firm also provides the fractional or the interim CFO work, so right. you guys can plug the hole. So that that seems like a really great solution for folks. Well, and that's a very very big part of our business that's really growing yeah. because so number one in the nonprofit world. One of the misconceptions is, oh, we're going to find somebody, our board members will know someone and someone's going to start in three weeks. Exactly. I hear that all the right. time. Well, I'm like, yeah. good luck. Good luck. So I had a saying that I created years ago called don't lose my card. Yep. <laughs> and I can't tell you how many times people would say, or they hired someone with no nonprofit experience or no relevant experience. Yes you know, with no training and said it didn't work out. Yep. So from an interim point of view, when you do want someone to come in and hit the ground running, we do specialize in bringing in people with nonprofit experience to our nonprofit organizations. Yes. It's one thing over time to be able to train people on an interim where you're there for a finite period and you need to keep the ball rolling yep. and the books 
accurate. Yep. We do specialize in bringing these nonprofit people in. It makes the search easier. Of course. Because you're keeping the books and records current. Exactly. And you're not letting things fall to the wayside. And then someone's walking into a mess. So not only then do you have a project, but you have ongoing. And so they have to learn history. Exactly. Fix it. And you know, look to the future. Exactly. So. And then if you're bringing in someone from the from that doesn't necessarily have nonprofit experience, there's someone there that can help do some of the training as part of the ramp up right. process. Absolutely. So that's perfectly intuitive to me. That's actually quite smart. All right. So just to wrap this up, if you could maybe give us two to three pieces of advice for someone thinking of making the jump from the private sector to the nonprofit sector, what would they be? They would be speak to everyone you can. And a lot of people focus on speaking to the hiring managers. I always say, speak to the people who have the job that you think you want, because you want to see if your thoughts on the job are accurate. And also, if they start to move, they will be the ones who can most easily say, I know someone who's, yes. who'd be a great fit. Yeah. So that's the first. The other thing is expand your horizons. Don't be too focused on just one sector of the nonprofit. Okay. However, on the other side, don't be too vague because especially when you're speaking to people and you know having informational interviews, I always say if you just tell me you're looking to work in the nonprofit and if something comes across my desk, I'm never going to think of you. Yep. But if you tell me what jobs, I always ask, what jobs are you on the web doing a search for? What titles? What type of organizations or examples? And something relevant comes across you know, my desk, yeah. I will immediately send it to you because I think of you. That makes sense. So, and the other thing is network. And as my networking group used to be just finance people and technically everybody was fighting for the same job. Over time, people asked me if I could expand it to people with development, whatever. Oh. The networking got much better. So don't just stay in your own pod yep. because everybody is working with different organizations for different reasons. And that just increases your world as well. Thank you, Lee. That's really helpful. Thank you so much for participating today. This has been great. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Balance. I'm your host, Amy Carson. You can learn more about our company, Brand K Partners, and what we do at brandkpartners.com. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Racecar, and this episode was produced by David Hoffman, post-production by Garrett Tiedemann, and production managed by Gabriella Montekin. If you like the show, never miss an episode by subscribing on all your favorite podcast apps, and please leave a rating and a review. See you next time.